Hello. Hello. <laughs> Why are you matching my energy? That's never a good plan. We are back and we are recording back to back, which means that we are already a martini deep. <laughs> which means I am having a mocktail. We are a double martini deep. We are because somebody doesn't follow directions. Elizabeth. Uh, no. Yeah. Try again. I said make it last two episodes and then you said... I'm winning. You're behind. So I had to catch up. <laughs> Those were not the directions I was discussing. <laughs> I was talking more about the recipe. Oh. Yeah. Um, I followed them. I just. You took it upon yourself to double it. it without instructions. To double it. Yeah. But are we mad about it? No. Exactly. No. We're, we're fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> But Elizabeth does have to drive home, so she has a mocktail, and I am continuing to drink with a white cloth. Because Allie has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> because I am an adult in my own home, and I have decided to do so. And she is having a claw because she wants to get white girl wasted. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we cheers real quick? We might as well. Um, my mocktail, by the way, is... 7-Up and Watermelon Juice. Right, and Watermelon Sorry. Juice. Sorry. Some sort of lemon-lime soda and watermelon juice. <laughs> Cheers! And it is delicious. I have a peach white claw. Highly recommend the lemon-lime soda and watermelon juice combo. It actually is really good. Yeah. I, I was pleasantly surprised. We'll drink again. Um, so buckle up because this one is potentially going to be a long one. We are finishing the book this episode Yay for us um so this is exciting because this is officially the end of the first book of the podcast which makes it also the end of the first season of the podcast yes now we're gonna roll straight into season two we're not like doing that take a break thing that real podcasters do <laughs> we're just gonna call it seasons to make us ourselves sound cooler <laughs> yeah we just want to feel good and feel like we've accomplished something so i'm excited about it um I mean, when we started this, I definitely didn't really know what to expect and um, figured. We'll we really just... kind of went ready, fire, aim on this. Yeah. We just kind of started recording. Like, let's just do the thing and see what happens. Yep. Because we've been talking about it for what, like a year? At least. And we've had a couple different ideas of what the podcast was going to be and what it was going to look like. And then finally, we were just like, you know what? We got to wang it. We got to do it. Because if we wang don't, it. if we don't, it's not going to happen. Yes. So and this is, I think, like episode 16, maybe. Something like that. Which is wild to me. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not great with follow through. <laughs> Same. At least one of us is dedicated. <laughs> that and helps. And it's marginally helping. <laughs> oh, man. But I'm proud of us. This has been really fun so far. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Yes. I think our next book is going to be less of a deep dive and more of just kind of an overview and discussion. Yeah. Um, I think some books are going to still warrant the deep dive. And some will be just a couple episodes to discuss and right. discuss give a synopsis. And reflect and yeah. So, I mean, we'll play around with it. We'll kind of see. We'll try a few different things with a book club podcast and see what you guys like so please let us know as we try a few different things say like hey that that really wasn't my jam i liked this better 
Right. We're always open to your feedback. We reserve the right to tell you you're wrong. Right. But feedback is good. Email is good. Um, I forgot to mention in the last episode, but you do have the option also of recording a voice message for us. I forgot about that because it's new. Yes. So you could actually hear yourself on a future episode if you follow the link on our Facebook and leave us a message. Yeah. Um, but please give us feedback. I ask that it be kind feedback. It can be constructive, but I just ask that it's done in a kind way. Oh, I don't care. You can be mean. I'll just, I'll just fire right back. (laughs) So, um, don't dish out anything that you can't also receive. (laughs) Um, I'm really a lover, not a fighter. So she says. (laughs) It's mostly true. (laughs) Um, so with that, though, our socials are um, Facebook. You can find the page at Spirits and Spoilers Podcast. Um, Instagram is Spirits Spoilers Pod. And our email is Spirits Spoilers Pod at gmail.com. You'll find that link to leave us a voice memo um, through our Facebook page. I will double check and make sure it's pinned so that it's easy to find. Yes. Um. But that's where you'll find the link for that. And stay tuned because we're also maybe kind of toying with the idea of getting on the talk. Yes. I literally just started a personal account within like the last week or two. Probably yep. two weeks I've been on there. And my account is only to watch. It's not, I have never oh, yeah. made one. I've never posted anything. I literally no. just watch them. I think I've shared like a video or two. Yeah. That was somebody else's content that I just thought was good. Yeah. Um, so it would be new territory for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, this also came after drinking a double martini each. So we will <laughs> we will see if we decide that it's still a good idea. Oh, no, we're doing it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we're we're going to do it. It doesn't matter if it's a good idea. <laughs> exposure is exposure. It's true. Um, so. With that being said, too, please share our Facebook page. Share. Oh, did you just spill? No. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Only slightly. Um, share... Genetic. <laughs> it's true. It's it not my the fault. Family. <laughs> yes. Um, it's not my fault I have a liquid shelf here to catch <laughs> all my spills. Anyway. Share our Facebook page. Share our Instagram. If you... Share a favorite episode. Yeah. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and write a brief review. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just write a single sentence. Um, it does really help with the algorithm. Just write like, oh, hey, that Elizabeth girl is hot. <laughs> and, uh, that's that's fine. That's, that's all, all you takes. have to write. As long as you put a five-star review with it, I don't care. <laughs> it's all good. So um, please just help us get out there a little bit more and so that we can continue to do this and continue to <laughs> So we to can grow. increase the shenanigans. Right. Because there haven't been enough of those. <laughs> no. There can always be more shenanigans. Um, but with that... Welcome to the end of the book. Yay! (laughs) So, um, since we've already said this might be a little longer episode, should we go ahead and launch into it? We shall. All right, here we go. So, here we go with chapter 34, which is titled, You Pick 'em. So, the Pagan Vegetarians for Peace, which you may recall is Rachel's Not a Coven, totally not a coven. Not, no, not, no coven to see here. Not even barely a coven. 
what's a coven? We've never even heard of a coven. It's a coven. <laughs> so they call these caves the sacred caves because they believed that the Ohlone Indians had once used them for religious ceremonies, but this was absolutely untrue. The Ohlone avoided the caves as much as possible due to the huge population of bats living inside. Fun fact, Elizabeth absolutely hates bats. Uh-huh. And I think they're absolutely adorable. I don't want to be face to face with them. They're so cute. You're so weird. We used to get them in the fireplace at mom and dad's house and I loved them. Oh my god, she would them. name them. Yeah, Georgie. Which is just ultra terrifying because have <laughs> you even seen the movie It or read the book? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I named why it Georgie. You gotta go, why you gotta go that route? And I think I named it Georgie before I had ever seen It. And I've never seen the original It, only the first of the new ones. Oh my gosh. So you I've seen broken. one of one of three movies. You are broken. Whatever, miss. I'm gonna freak out because there's a red balloon tied to a dumpster. I'm gonna need you to leave that alone. <laughs> That's just uncalled for. <laughs> so as everything random that has been written into this book, we have discovered to be a real thing. Yes. I figured, well, the Ohlone Indians must be real. So I did a little you know, I, I dove into a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Not you. No, not me. Um, and yes, so there is a Muwekma Ohlone tribe. And I I researched the pronunciation. I hope I got it right. If I did not, there is no disrespect intended. Um, so the present day Muwekma Ohlone tribe, and this is all this next little deep dive, is all according to the website uh, muwekma.org and it's m-u-w-e-k-m-a if you want to learn more they are comprised of all of the known surviving american indian lineages aboriginal to the san francisco bay region who trace their ancestry through the missions dolores santa clara and san jose and who were also members of the historic federally federally recognized Verona band of Alameda County. Um, an interesting thing I learned is that they were once federally recognized and currently are not. Interesting. I'll get into that in just a second. This is all new information to me as well. I did not do a deep dive into this. So you don't love rabbit holes as much as I do. I am learning along with you guys. <laughs> So the Aboriginal homeland of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe includes the following counties in California, San Francisco, San Mateo, most of Santa Clara, Alameda, Contra Costa, uh, which my boy Paul Holes is from, <laughs> uh, used to work in, and portions of Napa, Santa Cruz, Solano, and San Joaquin. Um, so that's kind of the geographic region that we're looking at here. It's interesting to me that this whole federally recognized, not federally recognized issue with this particular tribe. So tribal sovereignty is recognized and it's protected by the U.S. Constitution, legal precedent through the Supreme Court, treaties. Um, and the idea is that Indian nations pre-exist the United States. So although their sovereignty may have been diminished, it has not been terminated. So if a tribe doesn't voluntarily relinquish that status by disbanding or assimilating, then the only other way that they can lose their sovereign status and 
um, that federally recognized status is being terminated by Congress. Interesting. Yes. So according to the tribe's website, their status was never officially terminated, but the Bureau of Indian Affairs is now saying that the tribe has to prove to the Bureau of Indian Affairs not only does it exist today, but that it has existed continuously since, I believe it was 1927, when they were last sort of recognized federally. So I just kind of found all that really interesting. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing that I found is that, um, and it looks like maybe this was 1989, Stanford used to have the skeletal remains of about 550 people who were members of this tribe. And it was part of their museum and their collection. And they returned the remains to the tribe to give a proper burial to their ancestors, which okay. I just thought was kind of a cool story. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that's, Totally a huge sidebar, and but I just thought it was kind of it's some interesting, interesting history. Yeah. So that said, now we get to learn about Homer Styles. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. What poor, a guy. Poor Homer. So the first human occupation of the caves was in the 1960s, and we're back into the book now. By the way, I'm not. I'm not reading from websites or anything anymore. <laughs> Um, so it was 1960s when down-and-out farmer Homer Stiles decided to use the damp interior of the caves to cultivate mushrooms. So when we were talking earlier about, um, well, last episode about the mushroom farm. It's less of a mushroom farm and more of a mushroom cave. It is. <laughs> so Homer's enterprise started with a $16 investment. He had 500 wooden crates that had at one point been used for carting soda bottles and half um, for carting soda bottles around and a half gallon carton of mail order mushroom spores and the wooden crates. He periodically stole from the, behind the thrifty mart. Yeah. The thrifty mart. Yep. Just a few at a time over weeks. several weeks. <laughs> um, and he was spending those several weeks also reading fungus for fun and profit, which was a pamphlet put out by the U S department of agriculture. I did not look to see if that's a real pamphlet. What's it called? Um, Fungus for Fun and Profit. All right, continue. Okay, I'm continuing. So our boy Homer filled the crates with moist peat and he laid them out on the cave floor and he spread out all of his spores and he waited for the money to roll in. What he did not realize, because he kind of maybe skipped this part of the pamphlet, was the rapid growth rate of the mushrooms. So within a couple of days, he was sitting in a cave full of mushrooms with no market, no money to pay for help in harvesting the mushrooms. But fortunately, another pamphlet from the USDA had been accidentally included in the same envelope with his copy of Fungus for Fun. And this pamphlet titled The Consumer Harvested Farm uh, advised you know, how he could solve this problem. So he took his last $10, he put an ad in the local paper, and he advertised mushrooms for 50 cents a pound. You pick them, your container. So real quick, I don't yep. know if the pamphlet itself was something that actually existed. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I googled fungus for fun and profit and the very first result on Google is mushroom farming for fun and profit on your rural land. Um, so I don't know if that was a real pamphlet that got circulated at some point, but there is much about it now. <laughs> okay, so if you follow that link, like, what is the actual website? Is it, it at all affiliated with the United States Department of Agriculture? Um, it is Reth Rethink Rural um, Radiant Places. So I don't think so. Okay, yeah, that does not sound very government-y. Um, pamphlet would you say usda mm -hmm. um the united states department of agriculture does have a field guide to common macro fungi in eastern forests <laughs> well so there's a thing can you request a copy <laughs> so send us your address we'll request you a copy <laughs> <laughs> so it, i'm Long story short, I'm not sure if that pamphlet actually existed, but there is much information out about it now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So the mushrooms grew back as quickly as they were harvested, and the money rolled right in. So the first thing he did with the money is old Homer bought himself a generator and a string of lights for the cave because he figured, hey, if I can extend my business hours into the evening and bring in even more profit, cool. So it was originally nine to five, and I want to know if he sat out there every single day from nine to five to be able to tell people the cutoff time of like, nope, sorry, gotta go. I mean, it doesn't sound like he had a whole lot else going on. It's so. true. Um, so yeah, he's thinking, okay, we'll light the cave, we'll extend the business hours, this is great. But the bats were not thrilled with this arrangement, and they staged a protest. And just as a sidebar here, I feel like the bats are going to become important to the present day storyline, but I'm not sure how yet. Right. But that was the impression I had at this point in the reading. I mean, there's like a whole chapter dedicated to them. So there has to be, right? Right. That was my thought. So the bats had been really cool with hanging out on the roof of the cave during business hours initially, but they were not pleased to wake up on the first night of extended business hours and find their cave invaded by, quote, harshly lit mushroom pickers. <laughs> and then I've got uh, like a whole paragraph here quoted. It says, there were 20 customers in the caves when the lights went on. In an instant, the air above them was a maelstrom of screeching, furry, flying rodents. Okay, sidebar, that is my nightmare. <laughs> Returning to the book. In the rush to exit, one woman fell and broke a hip. My instant thought was Mavis, but Ooh. I don't have anything to back that up with. It's true. I didn't think about that. But I just remembered, the, you know, the talk about the hip replacement and what else. So. Um, so one woman fell and broke a hip and another was bitten on the hand while extracting a bat from her hair. That's my nightmare, actually. That immediately made me think of mom. Kissing the bats in the cave, pretty yes. much. <laughs> she didn't literally kiss the bats, but where were we? Was, was that, that in the it had, No, I thought it was Mammoth Cave. I thought it was the iron mine up north. Oh, it might have been. I was too little to know where we were. I'm too old to remember where we were. <laughs> we were in a cave and the bats were active. And my mom turned around to look for my brother and came very face to face mm -hmm. with one. And I don't think she was real impressed with the experience. <laughs> um, okay, so another was bitten on the hand while extracting a bat from her hair. The cloud of bats soon disappeared into the night, only to be replaced the next day by an equally dense cloud of landbound vermin. 
personal injury lawyers. So this all happens and Homer's business is destroyed and the bats had their peaceful home back. Homer, meanwhile, went on a binge at the head of the slug where he spent four days in an Irish whiskey haze before running out of money. Mavis then sent him to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because she, quote, could tell when a man had hit bottom and she felt no need to pump a dry well. Which gives me a little more respect for Mavis. Not that, like, I didn't have respect oh, for no, her Oh, no, I have before. all the respect for Mavis. I love Right, her. but I'm just saying this even more so was like, okay, like, kudos to you. But she did let him go for four days. Well, yeah. Because she's a businesswoman. <laughs> but not, you know, like, not enough that she needs to completely dry him out. <laughs> right. Um, also, that made me think, okay, the broken hip can't be Mavis because she's running things at the slug. Right. So I was probably wrong about that. But it just, I don't know. It was just a thought I had. So... Sorry, I've got random pop-ups here. <laughs> so Homer then finds himself in the meeting room of the First National Bank telling his story. And who else do you suppose is there? The Breeze. The Breeze, who was, quote, working off a court-ordered sentence he had earned by drunkenly crashing a 62 Volkswagen into a police cruiser and promptly puking on the officer's shoes. Which then, like, brought back to my attention that the Breeze is older than I constantly think that he is. Yes. Because this was in the 60s. Yes. That this happened. Mm -hmm. He's in a meeting, in an AA meeting in the 60s. This book takes place early 90s. Yes. And I constantly, like, forget that he's... Mom and dad's age? Yes. In current terms? Yes. Or close-ish? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I forget in the, even in the book time that he is... 40 when we meet him. Yeah. Like, I always, whenever the, he's talked about, I think he's He's 40 younger. in the early 90s, which means that he's born in the 50s. Yes. Probably early 50s. Yep. Continue. So the Breeze, hearing the washed-up farmer's story got an idea the breeze got a wonderful awful idea <laughs> i don't know why that's where my brain went but it did so he asks homer uh how would you like to make some heavy bread growing magic mushrooms because the breeze is an entrepreneur right in, so, the, in every sense of the in word. every sense so when you think entrepreneur you think the breeze for sure so the very next day, the farmer and the breeze were hauling bags of manure into the caves, spreading it over the peat, and spreading new spores of a completely different variety. The breeze had told the farmer their new crop would sell for $10 to $20 an ounce. That's a lot better than $0.50 cents a pound. <laughs> yeah. So Homer is just enraptured by the prospect of becoming rich, which he would have if not for the bats. Those damn bats. Again, these bats are going to mess things up for someone present day. I just know it at this point yes. as I'm reading. So as the first harvest approaches, the Breeze has to leave to serve the weekend in the county jail. He was sentenced to 50 weekends owing to the judge being presented with barf-covered shoes as evidence. And that's always just crazy to me that, like, instead of just spending some time in jail, you can do, like... You have to appear for the weekends, but oh, the it's weeks, a thing. You, I know it is, but that just like always blows my mind. 
Well, I think that the concept behind it is like, okay, you can stay gainfully employed because then you can pay your fees, but right. you can also serve jail time. Yeah. So it's just crazy though. It is a little wild. And what's crazy to me is the number of people who actually show up to serve their weekends. Hmm. Um, cause that, I mean, that was the thing when I was working in a jail and I mean, more vastly more often than not, people showed up and served their weekends. That so, is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So the breeze assures Homer, Hey, I'll be back Monday to help with the harvest, the drying, the marketing. However, in the meantime, the woman who was bitten by the bat previously came down with rabies and county animal control agents were ordered to destroy the bat colony. And Allie weeps and I am unbothered. <laughs> um, I don't hate bats. I like that they eat bugs. I just, I don't want them indoors. Like Be outdoors where you belong. Go do nature. <laughs> so... Animal control agents arrive and they find Homer Stiles crouched over a tray of psychedelic mushrooms. They give Homer the option to walk away and leave the mushrooms, but he refuses, so they contact the sheriff. Silly old man. Yeah. So Homer gets cuffed and he's led away and the animal control agents filled their pockets with mushrooms and they leave and the bats are left alone. So they didn't even do their job. Nope. Nope. They just collected the mushrooms. <laughs> They're just off shrooming. So the Breeze gets released on Monday, and he is immediately in search of a new scam. So a few months later, while he is incarcerated in state prison, Homer receives a letter from the Breeze. It is covered with a fine yellow powder and says, Sorry about your bust. Hope we can bury the hatchet. Homer buries the letter in a shoebox under his bunk and spends the next 10 years living in relative luxury on the profits he makes from selling psychedelic mushrooms to the other inmates. And then a quote to close out the chapter. Homer sampled his crop only once, then swore off mushrooms for life when he hallucinated that he was drowning in a sea of bats. <laughs> That's horrifying. Yes. I, I would swear off mushrooms too. <laughs> so. so anyway, that is chapter 34. All right. So we are here with chapter 35 called bad guys good guys and hold on to your butts because <laughs> this is kind of where everything happens it's a long chapter it bounces back and forth a lot so here we go it's a ride <laughs> so rachel catch the elliots and jenny are in the cave jenny and the elliots are tied at both their hands and feet and gagged um rachel decides that she wants to move outside after hearing a bat to which catch responds if you have a problem with bats you're going to love it when you see me he's not wrong and this is the only part that the bats play <laughs> it messed me up i spent all this time talking about the bats and i'm like oh the bats are gonna wreck stuff yep nope nope just gets them out of the cave that's literally it <laughs> <laughs> I died. <laughs> it was so good. Ugh. You're messing with me, Christopher Moore. <laughs> so Travis is again asking to go over the plan again. Uh, but Brian says to wait for the others to arrive. Mm -hmm. I say again, go over it as much as possible. I say let everybody get there so you only have to go over it again once. I say go over it multiple times. <laughs> Efficiency. Work smarter, not harder. 
Yeah, but you want to make sure that it's like solid in people's brains. Why? Nothing's going to go right anyway. It never does. Have you ever had a plan work out the way you intended it? Uh, No comment. (laughs) Okay, then. So, quote from the book, Howard parked behind Brian's truck. He and Robert began handing things to Brian and Travis. A camera bag, a heavy-duty tripod, a long aluminum lens case, and finally, a hunting rifle with a scope. One of these things is not like the others. (laughs) One of these things just doesn't belong here. (laughs) (laughs) Brian did not take the rifle from Robert. So, Brian asks, what is this for? (laughs) (laughs) This was not on the grocery list. Yes. Robert says that he plans to use the the rifle to take out Rachel before she can get power over Ketch if everything else fails. Mm-hmm. Um, this will keep Travis in control of Ketch. But Travis says, no. One way or another it ends here, but we don't shoot anyone. We're here to end the killing, not add to it. Who's to say that Rachel won't have more control over Ketch than I do? And that's a valid argument because right now Travis has no control over Ketch. So- yes. And I put fair point, but she still thinks that he's an earth spirit. Earth spirit. She dumb. Real dumb. (laughs) So like, yes, but no. Mostly no. (laughs) Um, Another quote from the book. Travis, you have to get them out of the cave and into the open. You have to hold the invocation up long enough for Robert to get a picture and you have to get the candlesticks back to us. Preferably by sending them down the hill with Jenny and the Elliots. No big thing. But again, finally, they go over the plan again. Mm -hmm. Because I really thought that Brian was going to be like, nope, no time, just go. (laughs) Yeah, that, fortunately, that did not happen. Yes, so I'm glad they went over it one more time. But like, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Pretty much everything rides on you. Have fun. Yes. So... This whole time, Jian Hanjian has kind of been outside the circle, been uncharacteristically quiet. Easy for you to say. And not very. (laughs) (laughs) But he steps forward and he says, give them what they want. Once the woman has control of catch, they will have no need to be suspicious. Because they keep saying, me trying to get the candlesticks away from them, very suspicious. Yeah, gonna raise some suspicions. Yes. Um... Or as I would say, very sus. And then my child would laugh at me. <laughs> your child and your sister. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> um, so finally they decide that Brian will drive his truck as close as he can without being seen. They will have the recorder with the invocation. Travis will throw the candlesticks into the truck and they will play the recorder on high speed. Mm-hmm. All right. Have the plan. Mm-hmm. You add to it. Yep. Good to go, right? One would think. (laughs) So, we jump to Rachel and Ketch. Mm -hmm. She says, he's late. Ketch says, let's kill one of them. (laughs) Because that is the obvious answer every time if you're Ketch. Um, Rachel says, once this ritual is over, I won't have you talking like that. To which Ketch responds, yes, mistress, I yearn for your guidance. (laughs) To which I say... Ketch still keeps his sarcasm through all of this. <laughs> Sassy demon. <laughs> so Travis emerges and he walks up the slope towards them. Meanwhile, Robert sets up his tripod and camera. Howard Phillips has a notebook and a fountain pen at the ready. Brian checks the batteries in the recorder and pl- in the recorder and replaces them just to be safe. Okay, wait. 
this whole setup, I am having multiple thoughts. I mean, first of all, we've got a camera and a tripod and a giant telephoto lens and, and a Polaroid attached to and it. And I'm having <laughs> visions, first of all, of my child's father at the softball games. <laughs> and I'm going to leave that there. But then also, Augustus is saying to Robert, like, oh, I've never seen a camera like this one. And Robert informs him, oh, it's a regular 35 millimeter, but I, bought, I brought the Polaroid back to preview results in the studio. And never got around to using it and that does not instill confidence for me right we're gonna rely on this thing i've never used before but also lucky that he still has it <laughs> there is that um and also we have you know robert gets this all set up and like okay i'm ready and uh parchment should be easily readable and howard says that quote Short of the unlikely possibility that I may be stricken with writer's cramp at the crucial moment, he is ready to. And again, I say, <laughs> shut up, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> but during all of this, Jian Henjian is trying to see over the undergrowth to watch what's happening, but he's I too short him, to like, see. like jumping up and down yeah. to try to see over the grass. <laughs> so back to Travis. He stops halfway up the hill. Tells them, let the hostage, let, oh my goodness, I cannot talk. Let the hostages go, and then he will translate the invocation. Let my people go. <laughs> Rachel says, once you translate it, I'll let them go. Oh, uh, we are at an impasse. <laughs> yes. Um, And then a quote from the book. Travis says, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Catch will kill us all. Rachel says, I don't believe you. The Earth Spirit will be in my control, and I won't allow it. Ugh, oh, she is the worst. She is really dumb. For real. <laughs> I, okay, so I am all about women supporting women, and we gotta stick together, but she's a fictional character, so and she's I an can idiot. hate her. <laughs> she's dumb, and she does oh. not take feedback. No. So, Ketch moves over to the hostages and tells Travis to translate it, or he will kill Amanda. That's just not even nice. So Travis says to Rachel, you know, you deserve what you are going to get. I never thought I could wish catch on anyone, but you deserve it. Team Travis. Right? <laughs> Hashtag Team Travis. I just, oh. He's right. She does deserve it. I hope that cuts her deep later when she realizes. <laughs> yes. Like right now, it doesn't mean much to her, but it will. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel gets the invocations out of the candlesticks, then tells Travis or, sorry, then Travis tells her to put them by Jenny. Quote, because the ritual won't work if they are too close to the parchments. In fact, you'd better be off if you, or you'd be better off if you untied them and sent them away with the candlesticks. Get them out of the area altogether. And he's afraid that he's being too obvious. And so am I, because I would, that's not very slick, I Travis. would agree. <laughs> like, you've got, you've had, what? 70 years to figure this out like <laughs> right come on now but rachel says okay whatever she moves them a few feet down the hill travis says no no they need to be further that's mm -hmm. still too close so 20 yards down the hill she stops and turns to travis looking for his approval he nods and she sets the bag with the candlesticks down. Yeah, because Catch is starting to get a little curious at this yes, point. Yes, and we he can't says, have what's that. this all about? Yeah. So Travis holds up the first paper, counts to six, 
then holds up the next one, hoping that he had the right angle and his body wasn't in the way for Robert to get a good picture of them. That's a whole lot of ifs. Yep, and there's no way for him to have any confirmation. Nope. And he can't very well, like, hold them up again. That's even more suspicious. That's sus. (laughs) (laughs) So Travis sits down to start translating, and he suggests to Rachel that she follow suit because it could take a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Quote, he started on the parchment from the second candlestick, hoping to buy some time. He translated the Greek letter by letter, searching his memory first for each letter, then for the meaning of the words. By the time he finished the first line, he had fallen into a rhythm and had to make an effort to slow down. I don't love this. Yep. So, Ketch tells Rachel, read what's written so far. I I love this even less. Yep. And she says, but it's only one line. And he said, do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, quote, being in possession of the power of Solomon, I call upon the race that walked before man. That's all that's written. Uh-huh. But Kutch says, mm, that's the wrong paper. Travis, translate the other one. If it's not right, Jenny dies. Rude. Yep. Um, so then <laughs> Travis responds with, that's the last time I buy you a Cookie Monster comic book, you scaly fucker. <laughs> And again, hashtag Team Travis. <laughs> uh-huh. So during all of this, Howard is also working hard on translating, trying to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. He says that the Latin passage at the top seems like more of a message, not an invocation. Right. Finds out he's translating the wrong one, compl- er, quickly uh, starts on the one that seems to have two shorter invocations on it. Um, Brian says, Gian Hengian, is this going to work? I mean, is a voice on tape going to have the same effect as speaking the words? He replies, it would be best to assume assume that it will. (laughs) Right. That instills a lot of confidence. Yes. So then Brian says, you mean you don't know? And the djinn says, how would I know? Which, fair. Yeah. I don't think he's ever encountered a voice recorder. Probably not. Um, but Nor used one to, you know, read an invocation and hope for magic. Right. Um... But still, not very confident. No. But what other, what other choice should they have at this point? They have to keep going with it. So Howard gets it all translated, and Brian records the message, rewinds the tape, and they're about to take off when they hear, Police, don't anyone move. Are you kidding me? This is the time that you decide to show up, Rivera? Right. Oh, now you want to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have, you know... Love. <laughs> so he's in the road holding a 38, panning back and forth to make sure he's covering everyone. He orders them face down on the ground. Nobody moves. Right. They're all just frozen. Uh-huh. Who <laughs> orders them again and they comply. Everybody except Gian Hengian, who oh, starts right. cursing in Arabic, which causes blue swirls to form. Mm-hmm. Rivera's not pleased with this. No, which is funny because usually everybody's kind of impressed and weirded out by it. Yeah. Rivera is just not happy. He's like, what is this? Stop it. Yes. <laughs> Robert tries to say, oh, we're just down here taking pictures. But he does have a camera. Rivera saw the rifle in the car. Yeah. But if you're out in the woods, maybe not a bad idea. You don't know what wild animals are going to be out also, there. Also, the rifle's in the car and they're not. So, right. I don't mm. know, maybe less of a big deal. Yeah. Um, a quote from the book, 
You're making a mistake, officer. If we don't continue with what we're doing, people are going to die. Rivera responds, first, it's sergeant. Yep, don't ever get the rank wrong. Yeah. Second, I'm getting to be a master at making mistakes, so one more is no big deal. Valid point. Um, but in this case, it is a big deal. <laughs> uh, yes, higher stakes here. Literally life or death. Um, flashback to Travis, stalling as long as he can, trying to, like, pause on words here and there, making it look like he's really trying to think about what it is. But he decides he's really kind of at the end of Ketch's patience. Yeah. He needs to, he doesn't have a choice. Something went wrong. And any more delay on his part is just going to put Jenny in further danger. Exactly. So he tears the two sheets out and hands it to Rachel, asking for her to untie the hostages. Ketch says, no, we need to make sure that it works. (laughs) Ketch says, not today, Satan. Yes. (laughs) Um... Flashback to the other group. Mm-hmm. John Hengian is now on the ground after some coaxing from Brian. Uh, Rivera asks Robert about the suitcase again. Where did you get it? Mm-hmm. How did you come into possession of this suitcase? Valid questions, except for the part where he's already gotten answers if he's right. been paying attention. And now he's concerned because he thinks that it's in relation to a serial killer. You're right. So Robert says again he got it out of the car, but he won't say who it belonged to. Right. He says he can't tell. Yes. Brian and Robert are both trying to convince Rivera to let them finish what they started. My favorite, though. Okay, so Robert says, I can't tell you. And Rivera says, "Uh, you can tell or you can go up on murder charges. So then Robert's really confused because he's like, who was murdered? And Rivera tells him, about a thousand people, it looks like. Yeah. Holy cow, is that a prolific serial killer? Right. And also, you think Robert really knows about that? <laughs> Come on. Did Robert you learn your lesson? doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground, so. <laughs> so, Rivera's not buying it until they tell him what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're adamant, we can't tell you that right now. We will explain everything. Just give <laughs> us ten minutes. Sergeant, I'm kind of in the middle of something. <laughs> and Mavis to save the day. Oh, yes. They hear a thump and Rivera slumps to the ground. (laughs) There's my girl. Mavis with her baseball bat. (laughs) Yes. So. And she greets Brian. Hi, cutie. (laughs) Of course she does. (laughs) Because that's Mavis. It is. So Brian and Robert jump in the truck and take off. Um, Flashback to Rachel and her uh, Mm -hmm. group. She reads the last line of the invocation and... With a grandiose flourish of her arm, because not only is she a heinous bitch, she's also a drama queen. Oh, obviously. Um, nothing happens. Yeah. She says, nothing happened. Ketch says, Travis, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Travis says, well, give it a minute. <laughs> you know, these things take time. <laughs> yeah. In this moment, he's trying to decide if he tells them about the candlesticks or if he stays stuck with the demon. That's a no win. Yep. And either way, he thinks the hostages are not going to make it. Yeah, I'm I'm sharing that concern, actually. So at this point, Ketch has had it. He is at the end of his patience. He's done. He grabs Ephraim, turns into his eating form, and lifts Ephraim up. Rachel is now scared. And I put, finally... I love that she starts to back away from catch. And I noted very helpfully yelling. Oh no. Right. (laughs) Really? 
should have listened. <laughs> How many times did Travis try to warn you? Oh, this isn't an Earth spirit? Oh, Guess. this is so weird. <laughs> yeah. So Travis tries so hard to regain control of Ketch. He tries focusing with all his might, ordering him to put Ephraim down. They hear a truck start, and then Gian Hengian appears out of the trees, and he taunts Ketch. I love it. <laughs> so Ketch throws Ephraim aside, who lands 10 yards away like a rag doll. Rachel is crying. Boo-hoo. Yes. I, I, I feel 0% bad for her. Yep. Um, so Ketch says to Jian Hengian, so someone let the little fart out of his jar. <laughs> that, that got me. Uh, Brian's truck emerges from the trees and Robert is standing in the bed of the truck holding onto the roll bar for support. Travis runs past Ketch to Amanda and Jenny. And then we have a little back and forth here between Ketch and Jian Hengian. They're like trying to out-sass each other. Yes, and both of them are very sassy. Yes. Still a coward, king of the jinn, Ketch said, pausing a second to look at the speeding truck. I am still your superior, the jinn said. Is that why you surrendered your people to the netherworld without a fight? So we're getting a little bit more of It's a, getting kind of personal. Yeah. <laughs> like... Chill out a little, okay? <laughs> yeah, that was that was awfully personal. So, Catch is a petty demon. Yes. So with the truck still heading that way, Catch runs towards it, which his strides are five yards at a time. He's there within seconds. Yeah. Um, but by the way, when Augustus sees him coming and he's like, hey, Robert, hold on, and he wrenches the wheel and throws the truck into a slide, I'm wondering... Has Homeslice been playing Mario Kart or Grand Theft Auto or something in preparation for this moment? He's out here practicing Tokyo Drift. Yes. <laughs> um, so he, like you said, throws the truck into a slide. Ketch lowers his shoulder and rams the right front fender of the truck, to which I said, well, shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. The truck flips. Robert's arm is broken. Dust is obscuring his vision but he can hear the demon roaring and the screeching sound of tearing metal. And at this point, we don't know what that means. It's not good. I know no. that much. So the dust clears a little bit, and we see that Ketch is pinned under the hood, ripping metal to try and get himself out. So better than what I thought it was. Yes. Because I definitely thought he was tearing into the truck to get Brian at this point. Yeah. Brian is hanging by his seatbelt, but Robert sees that he's moving. Mm-hmm. So Robert sees the bag, tries to reach for it, but almost passes out with pain from his broken arm. He manages to still scoop up the bag. Ketch shoves the truck off of himself, stands in front of the truck, and roars with such intensity that Robert almost drops the candlesticks. Mm -hmm. He's standing there frozen. I don't blame him. <laughs> no, I probably would be too. Um, Brian yells for Robert, though, to bring him the candlesticks because he's still stuck hanging from the seatbelt in his truck, which is upside down. Can't do a lot for himself at this point. Yep. Um, but hearing this, Ketch cl starts clawing at the driver's side door. I don't love it. Nope. Robert manages to get the bag inside the passenger door and tells Brian, quick, press play. Mm-hmm. Luckily, through all of this, the recorder is still clipped to a shirt pocket. Yes. Which I think is a miracle. Yes, absolutely. He pushes play just as Ketch dug a claw through his shoulder. Yes. And this then we have a hard turn. 
Yeah. Did you uh, quote this whole section? Yes. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, if not, I did. Yep. Because I couldn't figure out how to summarize it. It really just has to be read verbatim. It's true. So, quote from the book. A hundred miles south at Vandenberg Air Force Base, a radar technician reported a UFO entering restricted airspace from over the Pacific. When the aircraft refused to respond to radio warning, four jet fighters were scrambled to intercept. Three of the fighter pilots would report no visual contact. The fourth, upon landing, would be given a urinalysis and confined to quarters until he could be debriefed by an officer from the Air Force Department of Stress Management. The bogey would officially be officially explained as radar interference caused by unusually high swell conditions offshore. Of the 36 reports filed in triplicate with various departments of the military complex, not one would mention an enormous white owl with an 80-foot wingspan. However, after some consideration, the Pentagon would award $17 million to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology for a secret study on the feasibility of an owl-shaped aircraft. After two years of computer simulations and wind tunnel prototype tests, the research team would conclude that an owl-shaped aircraft would indeed be an effective weapon, but only if the enemy should ever mobilize a core of field mouse-shaped tanks. <laughs> That's a pretty big if in my mind. Yes, and at the time I was like, so this is obviously going to tie in, but what the hell did I just read? <laughs> Well, this made me think back to when they were talking about, um, what was it? Prometheus? Yes. No. Yeah. Maybe. Whoever gets tied and yeah. his liver eaten. Yeah. I was like, well, that was a giant bird. Mm-hmm. This is a giant bird. But it wasn't. Is an, it related? But it wasn't an owl and the owl part was throwing me a little. Okay. Fair enough. And we have another hard turn. Uh-huh. Brian realized he was going to die. He also realized that he wasn't afraid, and it didn't matter. Catch didn't matter. The chipmunk sound of his voice at double speed through the recorder didn't matter. The shouting of Robert and Travis didn't matter. Even the gunfire didn't matter. And at this point, I said, gunfire? <laughs> yep. Um. What now? Yeah. So, hard turn to Rivera. Mm-hmm. He came to when the truck started. He saw Ketch in his eating form. Uh, Holding up from by the throat, yes. by the way. Yep. Understandably, what is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> he stood and ran toward the patrol car, in, at which moment I thought, like, good, he's running. That's probably right. smart. Yeah, get out of here, dude. Yeah. Nope. Popped the trunk, grabbed his riot gun. On the run back, he also decided, mm, maybe I'll stop at Ephraim's uh, Jaguar grab. Grab Howard's. that rifle. I mean, yeah, sorry. Howard's Jaguar. Yes. Grab that rifle out of the backseat. Why not? Uh, None of it's going to do him any good, so might as well grab both. Right. So when he saw what was happening with the truck upside down and catch clawing at the door, he shouldered the rifle after throwing his riot gun to the side. Mm -hmm. He braced the barrel against a tree, loaded a shell into the chamber, put the crosshairs on his on Ketch's face, and squeezed the trigger. It hit Ketch in the open mouth, which at first I was like, maybe that's his vulnerable point. <laughs> Bet not. Um, knocked him back a foot, though. Uh-huh. He loaded another round and fired, then another. He continued this until he finally hit an empty chamber, at which point Ketch had been knocked back a few feet, but was still unharmed, of course. Right. Jian Hen Jian finally reaches the top of the hill and says, it is done. 
without his orders, I may carry out only the command of my last master. So that to me said, uh, the recording worked. Mm-hmm. The invocation has been read. But Brian hasn't been able to give Jian Henjian any sort of instruction. Right. So he's bound to the last instruction he did receive. Yep. So he points to the sky. Travis looked up to see something white coming out of the clouds, but it was too far away to make out what it was. At this point, Ketch had ripped off the door of the truck and threw it behind him. Brian turned calmly toward Ketch, still hanging from the seatbelt, and Ketch drew back his hand to deliver a blow that, quote, would rip Brian's head from his shoulders. I don't love that. No. Brian smiled, and Ketch paused. Uh, He is not used to that reaction. (laughs) No, I don't think there are very many people in that situation with Ketch that have ever smiled at him. No, they're all in fear. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Ketch says, what are you, some kind of wacko? (laughs) (laughs) Valid question. Yep, but Brian didn't have time to answer. The reverberation of the owl's screech shattered the windshield of the truck. Ketch looked up as the talons locked around his body and he was swept into the air, flailing at the owl's legs. Within seconds, the owl was no more than a tiny silhouette in the sky. Brian kept smiling. Travis came over and released his seatbelt, and Brian hit the roof of the truck, passing out up from the pain. When he regained consciousness, everyone was standing around him. Amanda was sobbing. He realized someone was missing. He ordered Jian Henjian to heal his shoulder in Robert's arm, then asked where Ephraim was. Quote, he didn't make it, Gus, Robert said. His heart gave out when the demon threw him. Mm. Which made me really sad. I know, that bums me out a lot. Yeah. So then Brian ordered Jian Henjian to bring him back, but he answered that he couldn't. Ketch was on his Which, way. Which, by the way, is consistent with Disney's Aladdin. True. So, yep. just throwing that out Checks there. Checks out. <laughs> yep. So we find out Ketch is on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, quote from the book, I have lied to you, Augustus Brian. I am sorry. I was bound to the last command of my last master. Solomon bade me take him take the demon back to Jerusalem and chain him to a rock outside the great temple. He decided that he wasn't going to tell Brian this before because he was really afraid that he would not get his power back if Brian knew. Um, it is as Ketch said, when the angels came to drive my people into the netherworld, I would not let them fight. There was no battle as I told you. We went like sheep to the slaughter. So, at all of this, Brian says, at least it's finished now. Mm-hmm. Travis says, hold on. <laughs> yeah, because it's not. It's not finished. We really need to send Ketch back, um, not chain him in Jerusalem. You cannot just chain a demon to a rock. No, they tried that before. It didn't go so well. No. Um, but Brian really doesn't know what's going to happen to Travis if they do this. He says, I'm still bound to him, Gus. That isn't living anyway. I want to be free. That's so, so sad. I know. So while Brian was passed out, Howard had translated the last invocation. Travis says if Brian doesn't read it, he will. Hmm. So Brian finally agrees. Mm-hmm. Travis looked at Jenny, who looked away. He apologized, and he walked down the hill away from the group as Brian read the words. And at this point, I really did not know how this was going to go for Travis. Yeah, I didn't either. Especially when I read, they found Travis slumped. In Howard's Jaguar in the back seat. Yeah. I thought for sure he was going to be dead. Right. 
But Travis looked up, his face deeply furrowed and shot with broken veins. His dark hair and brows had turned white. But for his eyes, which were still young with intensity, Brian would not have recognized him. Travis smiled. There were still a couple of teeth left in front. So instant aging. Yes. His voice was still young. It didn't hurt. I expected one of those wrenching Lon Chaney transformations, but it didn't happen. Suddenly I was old. That was it. So, I mean, at least it didn't hurt. Right. He's still alive. It was instantaneous. So I think that really that's kind of the best that he had hoped for. Right. Like, it seemed like he knew that he was going to age, but he thought it was going to be painful. Right. Yeah. So I guess it could have been worse. Yeah. And that's the end of our chapter. All right. So chapter 36, it is titled, Jenny, Robert, Rivera, Amanda, Travis, Howard, and the Spider. I think that might be the longest chapter title of the book. I believe it is. (laughs) So Rivera drops off Jenny and Robert at their home, and then he drives back to the station, and the whole time he's trying to come up with a story that's going to save his career. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) A month later, he's pumping slush puppies at the 7-Eleven. He called it. He called it. But slightly differently. (laughs) Yeah, because it turns out he's working undercover for the robbery division. So with the arrest of a team of robbers that had been terrorizing convenience stores in the county for the last six months. Months. Hard word. The last six months. The last six months. (laughs) uh, He earns a promotion to lieutenant. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah, did not see that coming. <laughs> uh, Amanda and Travis ride with Howard, and per Amanda's request, John Hen John sees that Ephraim's body is turned to stone and placed in the cave, which I thought was interesting. I did too. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I don't know what to entirely make of that, but bury him. Let him. Let him lie in peace. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, When they arrive at Amanda's house, she invites Travis in, but he refuses in order to leave her alone with her grief. She protests, though, asking Travis if he has completely missed the significance of everything that happened. Quote, Did it occur to you that the presence of Ketch and John Henjian proves that Ephraim is not gone completely? I will miss him, but he goes on. And I don't want to be alone right now. I helped you when you needed it, she said, and she waited. A little bit of a guilt trip there. Yeah. But, okay. But also, like... She's not wrong. But, come on, Travis. <laughs> you go, Amanda, back in the day, almost go all the way with her. Mm-hmm. She finally puts on the brakes. Good for her. Uh, 70 years later, you sleep with her granddaughter multiple times on the same night. Mm-hmm. And now you're back to Amanda? Like... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of the Philip Fry being his own grandfather thing. Yeah. Almost. Like, come on, man. Like you you <laughs> slept with Jenny and now you're her step-grandfather, basically. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I, <laughs> I still like Travis. Travis is still a good guy. He did a lot. But come on. Yeah, What's I happening? I, I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> Um, Howard goes home to work on a new menu for his restaurant. I bet it's to know what's on it. I bet it's all gonna be uh, the ancient one themed. (laughs) 
I don't even know what to think of this point. <laughs> uh, Nailsworth, poor guy, never finds out what happened to Roxanne or who she really was. Which, honestly, in the long run, might be best for him. It might be okay, really, yeah. Um, his grief left him unable to eat. He lost 150 pounds. He met a girl at a computer user's meeting and married her. Quote, he never had computer sex again outside the privacy of his home. You know, each their own. Good policy, Spider. <laughs> Way to go, nail guy. <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter. All right, and finally, we are at chapter 37. Good guys. So... Augustus declines offers of a ride home because he really kind of wants to walk and he needs to think. You know, I kind of don't blame him. <laughs> Sometimes a good walk is really good to clear your head. Yeah. And I and would imagine my head would be clearing after. He's just been through, through quite a bit. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, the gin offers, you know, hey, I can repair your truck. I can even make it fly. But Brian says, nah, he doesn't want it. And he's not even sure he wants to go home. He says he doesn't want to go back to the store either, and he thinks he'll give the business to Robert and Jenny. The gin asks him if it is, quote, wise to put the drunkard in the wine barrel. <laughs> Valid question. Yep. But Augustus tells him, eh, Robert won't drink anymore. He tells the gin he wants them to have the house too, and he'll start the paperwork in the morning. John Henjohn tells him, it's done. And Augustus responds just like that. John Henjohn says to him, you doubt the word of the king of the gin? <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, Augustus remarks that it seems wrong that Travis has lived so long without having a life or love. And the gin responds, like yourself, you mean? Like, Dropping well, truth dude. bombs. Well, dude, right? That might have been a step too far, I don't know. This isn't about me. <laughs> right. Augustus tells him, no, he's had a good life. And then he requests that the gin make Travis and Amanda grow young together. The two of them are going to age in reverse together. They got that Benjamin Button disease. Yeah. So the gin asks what Augustus wants for himself. And he says, I don't know. I always thought I'd make a good madam. So I have mixed feelings. Okay. Um, what if Amanda and Travis don't want to age backwards? Too bad, so sad. Like, he didn't, he was like, it'll be a nice surprise for them. I don't want that. No. I, like... I've lived my life. Let me live out the last couple years that I might have with him. We'll, you know, it'll be fine. Who also, takes the care of the two of them when they're like toddlers. Also, Travis has lived like ninety years at this point. I'm sure that he is ready for this to just be done. I would be. <laughs> oh well. But he's like, I'll tell him eventually, and it's like, I think they're gonna start to catch on. Right. So at this point, Rachel's van pulls up and she asks Augustus if he needs a ride. And, you know, John and John tries to send her off rather aggressively, but... Good for him. Right. <laughs> um, but Brian was like, no, no, it's okay. Um, he asks which way she's going and she responds that she doesn't know for sure because she doesn't feel like going home, maybe ever. Well, yeah, I wouldn't either. You should probably go figure out a life to live all up by yourself in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. Um, so Brian walks around, he slides the cargo door open, and he tells the gin to get in. Brian then climbs into the passenger seat next to Rachel and tells her to go east to Nevada. So they go to Nevada, to Kings Lake. When it appears in the desert, it also appears simultaneously on every map of Nevada that had ever been printed. A palace with 100 rooms sits at the top with, an, with a massive electric sign atop it reading, 
Brian's bait, tackle, and fine women. <laughs> also, like, most widespread gaslighting ever. Because everybody that has ever been in that area is like, no, there was no lake there. And it's he's like, and he's like, no, there is. Yeah. It's, it's always been, been here. here. No big deal. <laughs> um, anyone visiting is greeted by a beautiful dark-haired woman who takes their money and leads them to a room. And on their way out, a tiny brown man in a rumpled suit returns their money and wishes them well. Strange business model. Yes. But okay. And then I'm going to just read the last section of the book. Upon returning home, the visitors told of a white-haired man who sat all day in the lotus position at the end of the pier in front of the palace, fishing and smoking a pipe. They said that when evening approached, the dark-haired woman would join the man, and together they would watch the sun go down. The visitors were never quite clear as to what had happened to them while they were at the palace. It didn't seem to matter. But after a visit, they found that they appreciated the simple pleasures that life presented to them, and they were happy. And although they recommended Brian's to their friends, they never returned themselves. What went on in the rooms is another story altogether. I really want a book end. just all about Brian and John Henshion for, for the rest of forever. The problem is uh, that also turns into a book about Rachel, and I'm still, I'm still mad at her. Yes. But that is the end of that chapter and also the end of our book. Our very first one. Well, we just finished a very deep dive into practical gamekeeping. Yeah. Um, I have some. I have some thoughts. <laughs> I bet you do. So I already talked about like the ethical dilemma of him deciding uh, Amanda and Travis's fate without consulting them. Yeah. Um, but also, I have mixed feelings about Brian's end. Okay. So I really wanted him to return to Pine Cove and like continue on there. Like I felt like he could have had still a part in everybody else's life there. Mm -hmm. But also like I love that it tied in the beginning of the book when it talked about him seeing himself as a madam and then yes. becoming some sort of a madam. <laughs> like, yes. like I did really enjoy that, but also I kind of wish that he would have stayed in Pine Cove. You know, he went through a lot, though, so I'm glad that he got to leave and just be at peace and be zen and, yeah, you know, just sit in the lotus position and fish, and that's really what he wanted. I really so just want to hear the banter for the rest of forever between him and Gian Hengion. <laughs> yes, but I want Rachel to disappear. Yes. I still don't like her. Yep. Um. So my other thing is... I know that earlier in the book, I said that if Robert and Jenny got back together, I was going to quit reading and I was going to flip a table. But I'm actually really okay with it. I really wanted Travis to stay young and like start aging from where he was I and, that's and him and go. Jenny be together though. I really thought that's what would happen. Like I'm glad that Robert has seemingly turned his life back around and is hopefully going to be the man that Jenny needs. Right. But I really wanted her and Travis to be he, together. He did do a lot to redeem himself at the end. Yes. Which I was not anticipating. I didn't think it was possible. No. No, I was prepared to just just despise him. Yeah. But, I don't know. Overall, I very much enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> a lot was, of humor. 
Yeah, that was my third trip through the book, and I can't believe I remembered literally nothing about it. I was amazed at how much I had forgotten. Yeah. I mean, up to the point where I had completely forgotten about the existence of the spider slash yep. nail gun slash nailsburg. <laughs> I had forgotten all about Roxanne. I had forgotten the connection between the two of them. Yep. I had forgotten how it ended. Yep. I feel like I had just forgotten everything about it. Yeah. I remembered the breeze and I remembered catch and I remembered the name Travis or like Travis being catch's partner there. Sure. Literally remembered nothing else. I could have sworn that something happened and the eaten people came back. Like I could have sworn that we at least saw the breeze return somehow. And maybe it's in a different book. Yeah, I don't know. But. But I don't know. Maybe this is the only book he was in. And... Yeah. Or maybe he was in a previous book. And that's what you're remembering. Yeah, who knows. But I would for sure read this book again. I'm mm -hmm. sure I probably will at some point. I, yeah. It makes me want to read some of the other Pine Cove books again. And like I said, there's there's a handful. Um, I was going to say. I... Lizard of Melancholy Cove, I'm pretty sure is one of them. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure the only ones of Christopher Morris that I've read is this one. Um, you Suck. What's the first one for that one? Bite Me? Yes. And then there's also Blood Sucking Fiends, but I don't remember if I read that one or not. Okay. Um, so I think I've only read like three of his books, but I do want to read more. Uh, Christopher read more. more. <laughs> I have read most of his books i know i have not yet read shakespeare for squirrels honestly the shakespeare stuff he's done is the only shakespeare i've ever enjoyed okay but he writes it from of course a very different, different. somewhat <laughs> twisted perspective yep um, i took a whole shakespeare class my freshman year of college i'm sorry and it was from six to nine at night oh that's awful. which made it worse i just i have never enjoyed shakespeare I have been told that I need to see it performed instead of read it, and then maybe I would like, I don't know. I Sparks Notes a lot of it. So, like, Sparks Notes has a whole Shakespeare aspect to it where it really, like, puts it into modern language. So, I would, like, read the chapters that I needed to, and mm -hmm. then I would read them again in Sparks Notes. Okay. And it would make a lot more sense. Gotcha. So, I did kind of enjoy reading it that mm -hmm. way. That just feels like a lot of work to me. Yeah, I was much I younger just, then. <laughs> I want to just sit down and enjoy a book. Yeah. So. Any other thoughts on this one? I don't think so. All right. Well, speaking of sitting down and enjoying books. Yes. We already talked about what you're reading. Yep. In the last episode. <laughs> and we fangirled a little bit. Um, so I'm just going to jump in with what I am reading. Yes. Because I finally finished The Stolen Book of Evelyn Aubrey. Yep. Um. It was one that was a little bit of a slow starter. And I feel like when I say it starts slowly, that sounds kind of critical, which it's not meant to be because not every book can start with a gruesome murder on page three. Right. Well, and that was some of them the story has to build. That was how I felt about my Instagram post about all good people here because I said a slow start, it's starting to pick up, I'm enjoying it. And that was what the co-author commented on. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> Sometimes the story needs to unfold gradually. Yes. 
Um, and it doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Yeah, it just means it's not action-packed from page one. <laughs> and it's my way of saying, like, hang in there. Because yeah. it doesn't stay this pace. Well, and that's what a lot of people say about the first Harry Potter book. Is like the first couple chapters, they were like, I read two chapters and I was like, absolutely not. Oh, that's wild to me. I know. Same. But that's a like common thing. So it's one of those where it's like Harry Potter is one of the most successful franchises. Right. And you got bored in chapter two. Hang hang in there a few chapters. Yeah, it's worth <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, it's one of those where the story kind of unfolds a little bit slowly. But by the end of it, I just, I didn't want to put it down. Yeah. It was really good. So I finished that one and then I picked up. The Princess Bride. Okay. <laughs> and I am reading the book now. I haven't read that one since high school. I have owned it for probably 20 years or more, um, but haven't actually read it. I've skimmed parts of it before, but I yep. haven't actually sat down and read it cover to cover. From what I remember, I really enjoyed it. It's the way that it's written is very different. Yes. Because it's written as though it's an abridgment of a book that doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so it's just, it's kind of fun. And I remember the first time skimming through it and going, oh, I want to read the real thing. And then realizing. This is the real thing. thing. <laughs> and the thing is too, I, I cracked it open and I started reading and I was, I don't even know how many pages into it. And I went, this isn't even the story yet. Yeah. The story hasn't even started. I've read two introductions. Yep. <laughs> but they held my attention. Yeah. So it's it like it's written really crazily. Yes. Um but it's good and it works. Yes, but from what I remember like I said it I think it was like senior year of high school that I read it. I think I borrowed it from Andrew. Okay. Um after watching the movie hundreds of times growing up. I'm still not tired of it. No. Um and from what I remember of it I remember really enjoying the book. Yeah. So far so good. I'm only on the I think the second or third chapter of the actual story portion of it. Yep. Which is actually quite a ways into the book. Princess Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what I am currently reading. Um, are you watching or listening to anything of note? Um, still working your way through bananas. Still sure. work. Yep. Still working my way through bananas. Um, somewhere in the year 2021. <laughs> okay um so catching up it's been interesting because so you're like quite a ways into the great choir yes <laughs> yep made it through year one of the great choir as they call it <laughs> yes i love that um so that's been kind of weird to go back and listen to post choir <laughs> right. um but no still really enjoying that one and still working my way through um Counterclock just posted an update from the case that they covered in, I think, season three. Oh. The Pelly case. Is that the the minister? Yes. Okay, yep. Yep. So I listened to that one while Don't I was... Spoil it for I me. won't. I, was, okay. I listened to that one while I took a shower today, though. So, I mean, it was posted, I think, like three days ago. I'm going to find that one and I'm going to listen out of order. Yes. So we can discuss it. Yep. Super good. Um, That was a really good season. And this most recent, like, update of it is, I think, only, like, 16 minutes long. It's a super short one. But okay. um, things in the case are currently going on. Okay. So um, I'm excited for things to continue to unfold. It seems like maybe 
it's not going to be until the end of this year, beginning of next year, that we'll get another update. Okay. Um, but I'm excited for more things to come from it. Yeah, that one was really a bizarre one. Yeah. And I I left that season of Counterclock not knowing what to think. Yes, and there's a this is the second update from that season. So and she I did have to go back and listen to yep because she did like the season then the q a and then there was one update and this i think is the second one if i remember correctly okay so all right well i am eager to check that one out yes but that's it for me all right well um your homework haunting of hill house yep read spoilers watch both neither you do you (laughs) one i don't care i'm not your mom (laughs) You know my real mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even your fake mom. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we'll be tackling next. I'm excited to get into that one. I'm gonna Me have too. To read it again just to kind of. Yep, I'm definitely gonna have myself. to rewatch. Yeah, but. and I've got to refresh my memory a little bit, and also I think that a second trip through it is going to help me catch things I missed the first time, and maybe I'll have a little bit better idea of what I'm actually reading as I go through it. Yes. So, yeah, so Haunting of Hill House is our next episode. We will be dropping that in a week. Yep. Assuming that I have all my ducks in a row and release episodes on time. Because wouldn't that be something? (laughs) And I guess in the meantime, just remember to read responsibly. responsibly.